This morning we're uh, in our third Sunday of Advent. We're continuing our study of Revelation. So I'm going to be reading from Revelation chapter 11. And these may be words you're familiar with, especially at this time of year, because these are words that actually form, part of these words, form lyrics to Handel's Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus that, that often is presented at this time of year. So you may actually recognize these words from the Hallelujah Chorus. This is from Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 18. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to start to talk about, so a Saturday back in, in early mid-November, Karen and I were out and about. The leaves were still on the trees. It was beautiful fall leaves. We decided to go for a ride and we actually did some hiking on some trails and just driving kind of all over the county area. And we ended up in Kirkwood. Now, while we were in Kirkwood, we just happened to talk about uh, one of the bridesmaids. My daughter Celia's wedding was November 9th, so this was a week or two after that. But one of the bridesmaids in Celia's wedding had come up here. Uh, she's from Kentucky, but she'd come here for a wedding shower. And she told us about a store we had never been to before called the Puzzle Warehouse in Kirkwood. Now, I don't know if you are, but if you're at all into jigsaw puzzles, this place is like heaven. Okay, because I, it's like a warehouse. The place is enormous. I can't even begin to guess how many actual jigsaw puzzles they have. It's huge. I mean, there's a wall like the size of this wall over here that's basically one enormous completed jigsaw puzzle. And there's actually multiple walls in there. They're like that. It really is kind of an amazing place. So, of course, when we're there, we started talking. We said, you know what? We just wanted to come check it out. But let's go ahead and buy a jigsaw puzzle. And we'll put it out on the dining room table after Thanksgiving is over and family that's here. We can just kind of be working on this jigsaw puzzle. When we have our downtime, we can do it as a family activity, maybe one at a time. If somebody's kind of bored, doesn't have anything to do, we can come in and work on a jigsaw puzzle. So we went ahead and we did that. We went in and we bought a puzzle to do. So I don't know if any of you are into it. If after first service, I've learned it's about 50-50. It seems like a love-hate relationship with jigsaw puzzles. But the one we bought was about a thousand pieces. Okay. Oh, well, uh, they had ones there that are 25,000 pieces. I'm so, yeah, exactly. So when you do this and you, you dump all the pieces, right? You dump all the pieces out on the table and you look at it and you just wonder how on earth is this thing going to come together to form a picture? How are we going to get this whole thing back together. And if you're like us, and we've got a picture here, you start, right? You start with the edge pieces. You start with the edge pieces because they've got a flat side. They're easy to spot. So you gather all the edge pieces together and you kind of use the picture as a guide and you can kind of get the frame all together. It's fairly easy to get the frame put together. But then, then the hard work begins. 
And you just have to keep kind of plugging away at it. You keep working on it, you keep working on it, but you do it in the full confidence that this picture really will come together in the end. It really will, and little by little, it starts to, and kind of parts of the picture emerge. There's like a church up in the corner there. There's, you can't really see it that well. There's a little fence across the middle. It starts to come together. You start to actually get it done. Well, according to the story of our world, as told by this book, as told by the Bible, God started this whole universal creation with a picture, with an image he had in his mind. And the book of Genesis, the very beginning of our story, gives us a picture of this world that God would create where people would live in perfect, trusting relationship with God. He would create these human beings, it says he created them in his image, who shared in his very likeness, and he placed them there so that he could share the beauty, the majesty of this picture, this image, this creation that he had made. And all God asked, all God asked of them was that they would respect his authority. That they would understand that as the creator of this beautiful picture, as the creator of this world, he could set the boundaries. But he also told them and he assured them, he wanted them to understand that they could trust that the boundaries that he would set would only be things that were helpful to their ability to actually thrive in this world that he had created and placed them in. But the Genesis story tells us that that trust was immediately broken, immediately broken by these human beings. This beautiful world, this beautiful picture that God had created was shattered by the human's lack of trust in these boundaries that God had set. And so instead of this perfect image of God's design, this perfect image of God's intentions, the world became instead this shattered jigsaw puzzle where only fragments of what God had originally intended could be seen from time to time. And even then you had to look really closely, very intently at those fragments to see any indication of what God originally had in mind. But what our story also tells us is that as soon as this happened, as soon as this happened, God immediately went to work putting the pieces of this puzzle back together, immediately. And that is what this entire biblical narrative, front to back, is what it's all about. The entire story of the Bible from beginning to end is about God taking this shattered image of the creation he had in mind and putting it back together again. That's what it's all about. The story even tells us early on, also in Genesis, how God thought about just starting over, just starting over. But rather than start from scratch, he saved one family. You know the story, he saved Noah's family in the hope that maybe they would succeed and being obedient to these kind of boundaries God had set where Adam and Eve had failed. But after the flood, it was basically God's do-over. Noah and his family made the very same kind of choices that Adam and Eve had made. And the puzzle pieces didn't really start fitting back together well after all. But God didn't give up. 
God still didn't give up on getting back to this original image he had in mind. So once again, he chose a family. This time it was a family of a man named Abraham. And he told Abraham right from the start, at the very beginning, he told Abraham what he was doing. At the very beginning, he said he had chosen Abraham's family for one purpose, a single purpose. And Genesis tells us that purpose was that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now hear that clearly. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And from that point on, our story tells us God worked patiently with Abraham and all of his descendants, showing them again and again and again that God would be true to them, that God was upholding his side of the relationship, saving them, not only when other people tried to destroy them, when other people tried to tear this picture apart, but even when they made choices that led to them destroying themselves. And our story tells us that at one point God saved them from slavery under the Egyptians through this man named Moses. And and as they wandered in the wilderness after they escaped, God was at work restoring the picture, putting the picture back together, forging them into a people who were united by their rituals of worship. And God would further unite them as a people under the leadership of a king named David. David would take these 12 distinct tribes that were descendants of Abraham and create in them a new identity as God's people, as a single people, as a single kingdom under God's rule with a human king who understood that he only ruled as God's appointed servant. And so the picture of God's original design was starting to come back together under David's rule with God's leadership. But even then, the puzzle was only partially complete. It was only starting to come together, and there were forces at work in the world threatening to tear apart what God had already accomplished, to take this puzzle that's starting to come together and rip it apart. And so only a few generations after David, his kingdom was thrashed by inside forces that divided his kingdom into two in civil war and outside forces that actually resulted in both of those kingdoms being dominated by outside foreign superpowers. But God still wasn't done. God still wasn't done and God raised up these people. He called them prophets because they spoke for God. And through these prophets, God promised that in spite of how things looked, In spite of how bad things might appear, his ultimate plan to restore this picture to what he started with, it would succeed. God promised that even when it looked like the puzzle had been completely shattered, completely torn apart once again, God would be there getting the pieces back together, getting them back where they belong. Now, if you've ever done a jigsaw puzzle, like we have, Sometimes it seems like the whole thing coming together hinges on one piece. On one piece that you can't find. You search and you search and you search, but you just can't find the piece 
that connects this kind of section of the picture that's starting to come together with the bigger picture altogether. If we have a picture here, there is in this picture, you can see it starting to come together. If we have it, you can kind of, there's this lamppost there in the front. And we had that lamppost put together and we could not connect that thing to the rest of the puzzle. We looked and we looked and there's just not that many pieces left. We couldn't figure it out. And when we did, oh my gosh, it was a celebration, almost like the whole thing was finished. It wasn't, but we celebrated. It's like, yes, now look, it's going to be there. We just have this tree that we've got to get done. Well, when the nation of Israel was under siege by this foreign superpower called Assyria, one of these prophets, a guy by the name of Micah, proclaimed a bold prediction. Bold prediction. Even though things looked horrible, even though their nation's destruction was imminent, even though things looked like they couldn't get any worse, Micah said these amazing words. He said, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, one whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be their peace. I mean, what, what an amazing, what an incredible prophecy. Micah says a baby born in a tiny little insignificant village called Bethlehem. This baby will be the crucial piece of the puzzle. This baby will be the key that puts this entire shattered world back together again. He says his greatness will reach the ends of the earth and he will be, he will be their peace. He will be the wholeness that the world so desperately needs. Now about 700 years, think about that, 700 years would elapse before this ancient prophecy saw its fulfillment in the birth of Jesus. For 700 years, the people waited expectantly for this ancient prophecy to be fulfilled. They watched patiently for this crucial piece of the puzzle that they called the Messiah to come, to put everything back to rights for 700 years. But even in the meantime, even during those 700 years, God continued to work piece by piece to restore his world, to remind the people of his love. And even though the Israelites were forced out of their land by these superpowers, they were forced into exile for a generation or more. Even so, God eventually restored them from that exile. And he began to build the Jewish faith that Jesus was born into and that Jesus was raised in. So that baby was born, and then 30 years after his birth, 
that baby from Bethlehem began to proclaim something along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And what he proclaimed was that God's restored world was close by, closer than it had ever been before. And he told people to get ready for it, saying the time has come. They'd been waiting 700 years. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And the good news was that this restored world, this renewed creation that Jesus called the kingdom of God was closer than ever. It's close. And Jesus invited the people to be part of that new world, that restored world, Stop clinging to this old world the way things used to be. And he even taught the people how to pray for it. He told them, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's no more than a picture of the world as God always intended it to be. God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. But you know what? Because even then, there were still forces at work in the world seeking to rip apart all the work that God was doing to restore his world. And Jesus got killed for proclaiming that message. Even even at his birth, even at his birth, there were forces at work as, as King Herod issued an order that all the baby boys in and around Bethlehem for two years after Jesus was born, were to be killed. But still, still, God didn't give up. Even after Jesus was killed, God raised Jesus from the dead to demonstrate his power to restore life even when things look most hopeless. And then, then he sent his Holy Spirit at Pentecost so that Jesus' followers could continue the work Jesus had done, work that God has been promising will reach its fulfillment ever since the call of Abraham. This is work that absolutely cannot fail. Well then, about 60, maybe 70 years after Jesus' resurrection, persecution against Christian followers was rampant everywhere. And once again, people wondered, is it true? Is it, is it really true that God's plan can't fail? Jesus had died. The Messiah had come. But he died, but he'd been resurrected. Amazing. And people had placed their faith in this hope of salvation. And a guy named Paul, 30 years before, had gone around teaching people to, to have faith in God, to have faith in Christ in that resurrection. But now, once again, the people of God are suffering in a world that still seems to be the complete and utter opposite of the kind of world God has in mind. And they wondered, where's this peace? Where's this peace that Micah had promised that this baby born in Bethlehem would bring? Where is it? So God gave a man named John a vision. 
in the midst of this persecution. And it was a vision that was full of images and pictures, like a vivid dream you have that you just can't figure out. And that's nearly impossible to put into words what you saw. But John writes it all down anyway. He writes it all down, producing what we call the book of Revelation. And as you read it, you you can almost sense John saying, look, I, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to express in words all the sounds and sights and smells and sensations that I experienced, but I need you to know what I felt. Even though the images, even though the symbolism is hard to understand, the message that I got from God was perfectly clear. And that message is the culmination of this whole story. That message is that once again, in spite of how bad things look, God's plan is still in force. God will get this shattered puzzle back together. And so John's vision, John's vision compares these horrible events that are happening to the sounding of seven trumpets. And and this was familiar imagery to these people who were reading this in the original day because these trumpets, they're compared to these trumpets that were blown as part of the temple liturgy by the priests in the temple every day of the week. Every day of the week, seven days, these trumpets were blown in the temple. And the purpose of these trumpets was to remind the people and to tell the story of how God had graciously dealt with Israel throughout their past history even when things looked horrible. And John says that even though with each blast of the trumpet, with each blast of the trumpet as the days go by, terrible things happen, worse things happen, even though God's people are persecuted, one day, someday, the seventh trumpet is going to sound. And there are going to be shouts of praise in heaven, the hallelujah chorus is going to ring out in heaven because at that time the puzzle is going to be completed and God's people are going to proclaim the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. If I could sing, I'd say forever and ever. If you can picture the hallelujah chorus. John's vision is a reaffirmation of what the ancient prophets had been saying all along, that there is no chance, no chance that God's plan will fail. God has been working to restore his world since the beginning of time, and it will reach its culmination. So the vision of John goes on to tell us that at that time, when that happens, all God's people, symbolized by 24 elders, will praise God in heaven because the day has finally arrived. John says, and the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. See, folks, Revelation is actually a perfect book for Advent. It's perfect for Advent because Revelation is all about hope. 
It's all about the confident hope we have as Christians that no matter how bad things look, no matter how bad things actually get in the world, God's plan will not fail. The people of God have looked forward with hope to the final reign of God for thousands upon thousands of years. The story of human history from the biblical perspective begins with a perfect world and it ends with a perfect world. That is our hope. And the birth of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas initiates the turning point in world history that is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus demonstrates humanity as it is meant to be, how it can be. He demonstrates true obedience to the Creator and his resurrection from the dead and his sending of the power of the Holy Spirit to us are the keys that unlock the door to the ultimate emergence of God's kingdom, to the world the way the world is supposed to look. Now, for now, the story continues, all right? And this is probably the most important thing for all of us to hear as we live in this current season, the season of Advent. Right? The puzzle isn't complete yet. It's not. Jesus got the final leg started. Jesus showed us how to get there. Jesus demonstrated for us how the world should look. But God expects us to be continuing to be fitting pieces into the puzzle through the power of the Holy Spirit until Christ comes again and lays that final piece in the puzzle. We still live in an in-between time between the persecutions of the early church that John wrote out of and the ultimate culmination of time that God allowed John to peer into. Evil still has its way in the world, but the baby whose birth we celebrate in 10 days grew up to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. Being a follower of that baby doesn't mean we just sit around and wait for the day when the visions of Revelation finally come to pass. Rather, the baby whose birth we celebrate in 10 days invites each one of us, and I would even dare say expects each one of us to be part of restoring God's kingdom, of contributing our peace to the puzzle, confident that one day, without fail, Christ will come again and the picture of the world as it should be will be completed. And that day, that day is going to be a celebration like the world has never seen before. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.